Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Hey, hey, welcome to all of you joining us right now. I am so excited as we continue in this series, Anxious for Nothing. Uh, this has been, uh, hopefully, uh, a good series for you as I think it's just it's pertinent to everything that we're all facing right now. We're all going through different things in life that uh, can cause anxiety and cause that to rise within us. Before we dive in, let me just remind you, if you weren't at the very beginning of the message and you didn't, or the beginning of our service and you didn't hear Kate say it, uh, go and grab something for you to write on. You're going to want, it's probably the best part of the your time here during this service is going to be a moment between you and the Lord to do a little bit of writing. And so make sure to grab a notebook, a journal, uh, or a piece of paper for every person in a writing utensil who you are with. And uh, you're going to want that for the end. So go ahead and grab that. But one of the things I said a couple weeks ago was uh, that we as um, Americans, actually, specifically here in America, we apparently, for whatever reason, are six times uh, higher in our anxiety than those two generations before us, which is pretty crazy, right? I've got my mini crowd around here. It's our worship team, uh, but I'm so grateful for you guys, right? So we're, we're uh, six times higher in terms of anxiety. Now, why in the world would that be? Now, keep in mind, this is 100 years ago, the generation that went through Great Depression, they went through World War II, and yet we're higher in the anxiety. And what's interesting is, uh, yes, of course, we're in the middle of a lockdown. We're in, in, the ter- in the middle of this kind of global pandemic. And so, uh, of course, that weighs into it. But that stat was true before all this began. So why in the world are we so anxious? And perhaps why are we dealing with anxiety to not, right now? Uh, scientists actually looked at some of the main reasons why they've discovered that uh, just people in culture today are more anxious than they were a few generations ago. Here's three top reasons why uh, scientists point to us just having greater anxiety. One thing that they point to is this. We're less socially connected than ever. Uh, what's happened in over the years is that we actually have a tendency to not be as socially connected with, with one another. So think about this. This is totally going to date me, but when I think, I, I don't feel that old, but I think about 25, 30 years ago when I used to like run around my neighborhood, I could run around the neighborhood like up and down everyone's backyard and that was like totally okay. Like that was like legit, even if they had a fence, I could go in one side of the gate and come out the other and no one cared. It was like the neighborhood kids had run over the entire neighborhood and it wasn't weird to see people in your backyard. But here's what's happened uh, over the decades is uh, everyone used to live what would they would refer to as talk about as on their front porch. So everyone lived out on the front porch. But what's happened over the last 20 years is the front porch has moved to the back porch. And that just means that where everyone used to converge out front on your front porch, now people meet on their back porches, but they only meet with those who they invite into their back porch, right, or onto their back porch. And so what's happened is this sense of connection and community has been lost in our, in our culture. And here's a statement that I read this last week that I thought was just so insightful. It's this, a decrease in relationships equals an increase in anxiety. Let me say it again. A decrease in relationships equals an increase in anxiety. And what it's, it's interesting. One of the first things that God says to Adam is it's not good for you to be alone. The very first thing. Hey, we need you to have someone else to do life with. And uh, for us, we still need that. We need people, while it might have moved from the 
front porch to the back porch, you still need people to do community with. And this is why, I know we say this all the time here at Lakeland, but you've got to be in a small group. I would say small groups have become the new front porch or the front porch that moved to the back porch. How are you going to know who to invite to your porch? Well, it's the people in your small group. And if you've ever thought to yourself, well, I'm just going to put that off. Uh, maybe till once things go back to normal, I'm telling you right now more than ever, you need people in your life. You need community and uh, you need to get in a small group. Go to our homepage and you can get into a digital small group right now where people will meet with you online and you can have community. Don't make it someday, do it today. Um, second reason why scientists say that we are more anxious is that we are more socially or, or we are more social media connected than ever. Now here's the deal. Let me just say this is going to, maybe it won't be a shock to you, but uh, maybe it will. Social media does not equal community. It, it doesn't. Social media does not equal community. I understand it's got social in the title, but I would say that on social media, we actually uh, fall more into media than social. This is just a reality. Uh, what happens more when we're on social media is the media side of things than the social th side of things. If you're hoping for community in that realm, you'll never find it. You'll find more media there where you're exposed and being bombarded by things that are being shared, whether it's uh, people's opinions or what people are going through or just media in general. But uh, as a whole, you'll, you're not going to do community there. Third reason why scientists point to that we're more anxious is that we are more aware of bad news than ever. We are more connected through the internet and aware of what's happening on a global scale. If there's a major earthquake, let's say in Brazil, we all know about it in one hour because it's on social media or it's on the news and everyone's reporting it. You realize a hundred years ago, if my grandparents wanted to find out what was happening, they'd go and they'd buy a paper, right? And then they would read a headline that was written probably two weeks before. You know, that, that it had taken a long time for, for what happened on the other side of the world for that news to even travel. We are so connected now. I, I read uh, a local news, BBC news, Israel's news. And like that's my common news that I read all the time because I want to get a global perspective. Well, it also means I'm aware of the bad things that are happening at a global, at a global level. And so we are aware of bad news uh, at a just increased level. So just, just think about those three things, less social connection, more media bombarding us than ever and greater awareness of global bad news, well, scientists are going to say you are knee deep already in anxiety. Now throw a global pandemic on top of that and we've got kind of a perfect storm. And so how do we combat anxiety? And that's what we've been talking about in this series. Um, and remember, we've been looking at this passage in the book, book of Philippians where Paul is writing to this, the church in Philippi. And remember the context, the setting from which he's writing this. He's writing this in lockdown. He's writing this in quarantine. He is literally uh, chained to a prison guard 24-7. And it's from this place that he writes these words that we've been looking at week after week. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I just got to say this to some of you. Uh, man, the Lord is near to you. No matter what you're facing right now, whatever, whatever you're going through, the Lord is near to you. 
Then he goes on, don't be anxious about anything. Remember, he's, he's chained to someone right now as he says it. But in every situation, in prison, in lockdown, in quarantine, every situation by prayer and petitions with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what will happen? The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How can Paul make these statements, rejoice in the Lord always? And I would say so much of what has happened in Paul's life, even as he's writing this, is he's gotten a little bit of perspective. Perspective changes everything. Let me just give you an, an example. Let's say I come home after a long day's uh, at work, which I know I'm working from home right now, so that's not happening. But let's say I come home from a long day at work, and I walk in, and the kitchen table, a bunch of my kids are there, and they've got crayons and markers and scissors and pieces of paper scattered all over the table. They're starting to cut things up, and it's now moved from the table, and half of it is landing on the floor. I don't know if this, this is a real situation that would happen at our house uh, but it's moved onto the floor and I walk in and I look at it and I go oh my word what a mess and then my wife awesome saint that she is catches my eyes and kind of opens her eyes like this and says but isn't it a beautiful mess honey because they are making I love dad cards what, what happened all of a sudden I go it is a beautiful mess Wink, wink, <laughs> because of what they're doing. And all of a sudden, this thing that just was making me kind of lose it is beautiful. What changed? Perspective. Perspective changed everything. And Paul has actually had a perspective change while in prison that makes him able to say these words, rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, so what we've been doing, how do we align our thoughts and get our perspective in line with God's perspective of what's happening right now in the world. We've been looking at this acrostic uh, that spells the word calm, and we are looking kind of week by week. It started with a few weeks ago talking about celebrating, that I believe God's up to something really good, that in our isolation, God is doing a restoration. Then uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about asking. And this is about, you know, Paul says, says it this way, present your requests, your, prayer, your, your prayers, petitions, and your requests to the Lord. And we talked about specific prayer requests uh, to see God do specific things in our lives. And then this week we're going to be talking about list, and we'll talk about what are we listing. And then finally, next week we'll be talking about meditation. What does biblical meditation look like? But let's hop right back into uh, this week's word, which is list, and what is it that we're going to be making a list of? Well, let's check it out here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says this, Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayers and petition, and let's say this all together, you at home as well, with thanksgiving. Say it again, say it loudly, say it proudly. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. With thanksgiving. So, when we think about what are we listing, we're going to be listing what we are thankful for. It's interesting that the attitude of thanksgiving is at the heart of our requests that we're presenting to the Lord. Because it's, it's buried right there in the middle of present your, your prayers and your petitions with thanksgiving and your requests to the Lord. That's right in the heart of what we're putting in front of the Lord. Why is that? I think it's because our attitude as we present our requests to the Lord are so central to how we approach God that it is with thanksgiving. You want to know what prayer is otherwise? It's called griping. <laughs> We're just griping and having a kind of a self-centered dialogue 
maybe monologue even with God as opposed to approaching it with thanksgiving. If, if, you, if you're a parent, have you ever had this where a kid comes to you and just says this, I want, I want, I need, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need, and there's no like please or thank you at the front side or back side of that? What does it make you want to do? I was like, you're just like, just how about a little appreciation here? Or even from the most logical standpoint, if you were to go out to a restaurant and eat, I know most of us can't do that right now, but if you were, were to do that and uh, someone's waiting on you, would you ever say to your waiter or your waitress, get me this? No, no you would be like a jerk if you just did that. How, how do you approach that conversation? Well, it's with uh, a please and a thank you, right? I wonder how often do we approach God and we miss please and thank you? We, we just miss the common courtesy of recognizing that he is our helper in times of need. Like you wouldn't talk to a server that way at a restaurant because they are helping you and they're serving you. And in the same way as we're approaching God, he is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Well, if he's our helper, then we better not be approaching him griping. It ought to have this attitude of gratitude. And so... Uh, as we approach God, we need to approach him with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving will actually produce something in you. Uh, I love what a Benedictine monk said. He said this. He said, happiness does not make you grateful. It's gratefulness that makes you happy. You see, great, gratefulness and thanksgiving will actually produce something in you. And one of the greatest ways to get rid of anxiety, I believe, is for us to double down on gratitude. Gratitude and anxiety, they cannot occupy the same space at the same time. I could say it this way, that gratitude and anxiety cannot occupy the same mind at the same time. And so which is occupying your mind? Is it anxiety or is it going to be gratitude? Well, let's talk about the power of gratitude and thanksgiving. And not just from a mental standpoint, but actually a spiritual perspective of the power of gratitude. And I want to go to one of, I, I think it's one of the most fascinating little passages in scripture it's uh found in first corinthians chapter 10 and uh, let me just kind of set up what the apostle paul was talking about when he was writing the church in corinth okay so he's writing to the church and they're he's discussing the hot topic of the day you want to know what the hot topic of the day was at that time it was meat sacrificed to idols. Can we eat it or do we need to abstain from it? I know. It's the hot topic in your house today as well. No. <laughs> like, no. None of us are talking about that or even thinking about meat sacrificed to idols. But that was the big debate of the day. Can we eat it? And here's why. Let me just tell you what was happening. In Corinth, which was primarily a pretty godless and pagan city, uh, people would, would, would go about the li their life, and let's say, let's say I've got to go. Let's say I'm a pagan man who's worshiping an idol, like to a, a god, you know, and I've got a goat that I'm going to take to market, and I'm going to have that goat slaughtered. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Before taking it to market just to have that goat slaughtered, I'm going to get double purpose out of this goat's death, if you will. Instead of it just dying and going to market, I'm going to maximize this goat's death by first taking it to my temple of my pagan god where I worship an idol, and I'm going to it there to my God, that, that that God, let's say it's the God of fertility, would bless my animals with great fertility and my wife with great fertility, right? Happened at my house all the time. No, I, <laughs> I have not sacrificed any animals to any false gods. Okay, no, but in all seriousness, this is what someone would do. Let me take it to the, to, first to the idol, let's kill it there, then I'll take it to market. 
And so I get double value out of it. Now, here's what happens. You're Jewish and you're following Jesus and you go to town and you want to buy some meat. So you go to the market and you go to the butcher and you say, hey, I want to grab that meat. But here's the deal, because the majority of your town is sacrificing their goats or their lambs or whatever their animal is first to a false idol. The meat that you are buying has likely been sacrificed to a false idol. So now the question is, can I eat that meat? This is what they're talking about. Can we eat this or is this bad? So now notice what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. He says this, Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Meaning, listen, if you, uh, if you eat what was sacrificed on the altar, you're participating in that, right? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? He says, no. So he's saying, listen, if a food, if, if it was sacrificed to an idol, is it anything? He's like, no, it's, it's really not because the sacrifices of pagans are offered, listen to this, to demons, not to God. And then he says this, I don't want you to be in participants with demons. Okay, so after this, uh, after he said this, it, it really sounds like he's going, listen, Meat that was sacrificed to idols are actually sacrificed to demons. And I don't want you to participate with anything that was sacrificed to a demon. Okay, so now he's going to go on. It sounds like he's saying steer clear of it. Verse 25, though, he says this. Guys, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience. Why? Because the earth is Lord's and everything in it. He owns everything. You can eat it. If an unbeliever, what if an unbeliever invites me on over? Can I eat his meat? Yeah, Go ahead. If he invites you over for a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising question of conscience. Whoa, 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 whoa. How did he get from a place of saying, listen, the meat sacrificed on the altar is like participating with uh, whatever it was sacrificed to and you want nothing that uh, was sacrificed to demons. And now he's saying if it's put in front of you, just eat it. The next verse, I believe, is the key to why he, he ultimately gets to this place of, listen, it's okay if you just eat it. Verse 30. Check this out. If I take part in the meal with, check this out, with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something that I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I think right here in this passage, uh, there's a biblical key found right here in these verses of, about a great spiritual power that actually exists in thanksgiving. And it's this, the key is that being thankful or grateful to God for everything and honoring him with all of, of what you're doing actually has the power to break or has the ability to break the power of the enemy over a situation. So now here's the question. When you are facing anxiety, who is ruling in your mind in that time? It's probably the enemy. You want to know how to break the power of the enemy in that moment? Because both anxiety and thankfulness can't rule the same mind at the same time. You want to know how to break the power of anxiety over your mind and over your heart? Thanksgiving actually has the power to break the stronghold that the enemy might have in your life. And it's sim as simple as gratitude and thankfulness. It's like saying, God, whatever you do, if you do it with thanksgiving to God and for his glory, the power that the enemy had in that former place will be broken. And the same is true in our lives. When you find that the enemy is taking ground in your thinking, the greatest and fastest way to break the power of the enemy in your thinking is to start giving thanks to God. You can live with anxiety in your situation or, or you can live with thanksgiving in your situation, but you can't live with both. And thanksgiving breaks the power 
of anxiety or that anxiety holds over our thoughts and over our hearts. So now, check this out. Remember how at the beginning I said that the Apostle Paul, he's, he's seen a different perspective and he has an attitude change. The Apostle Paul has a thankful heart even while he's in prison, while he's writing to the church in Philippi, which I think is amazing. Uh, think about it this way. What Paul could have written to the church in Philippi. He could have written maybe a letter like this. Guys, this stinks. <laughs> I'm in prison. I really like to preach, and I'm not preaching anymore. I feel like my ministry's over. My preaching's over. My life is over. I'm quitting my small group. I'm quitting my church. When I get out of here, I'm done. Like, he could have griped like that, but he has this whole different perspective. In fact, he, he writes this at the beginning of the letter to the church in Philippi. He writes this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and he's referring to being in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Listen to what else has happened. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, meaning those outside uh, of, of prison, have become confident in the Lord and that dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fears. Meaning, he's going, listen, because I'm here in prison, you want to know what's happened? The gospel has gone all throughout the, all the palace guards, all throughout the whole palace as a whole. You want to know what else has happened? Because I'm in chains, the, the Christians outside of prison who are out there are becoming bolder in their faith. They're daring to proclaim the gospel with greater faith and greater, you know, kind of boldness than ever before. And Paul's like, man, I never even saw it, but perhaps this is how Paul's thoughts have changed. The Romans might have thought, I'm their prisoner. Little did they know that they're chaining me to someone 24-7, and these guys can't get away from me as I'm preaching to them all day long. And as a result, because they're chained to me, who's really the prisoner? Am I or are they? Because they can't get away from the gospel, and as a result, it's gone everywhere. See, he has this perspective change, and the gospel's going bolder and faster outside because he's in chains. What happened? A little perspective. He's probably never saying, you know what, I love being here in prison. He's probably like, I still don't like being in prison, but God, it seems like your way's better than my way. It seems like your plan's better than my plan, and so I'll just get on board with what you're doing. And this is why a grateful attitude, even when you don't know what's happening, is huge. Because your situation, I believe, this will turn around into something to be grateful for. Let me say it again. Your situation will turn into something to be grateful for. Here's the deal. When we give thanks, when we don't know what we're giving thanks for, you want to know what you're actually doing? You're acting in faith. That's what faith is. Faith is expressing something to the Lord in belief of something that you do not yet see. When we give thanks for something that we're not yet thankful for, you're actually operating in faith around, around what God will do in the future. And so here's the, the big deal. You're stepping into thankfulness before you fully see what you're thankful for. And that's huge. So how can we start practicing kind of an attitude of gratitude or gratitude and thanksgiving Right now, because if I were to say, hey, make a list of something you're thankful for, you might go, I don't know where to start. Let me give you three things that I would just say, I'm going to do this really fast. Three things to consider to just 
start thinking about how you can be grateful and thankful. First one would be this, gratitude in God's provision. Just be grateful for what he has provided for you. What do I have? You know, my wife and I, we've shared about how we, we sponsor a child in Honduras through Compassion International, and um, we've seen his house. We've visited his home, and he has nothing. He, he has a bed without any sheets on it. He has no toys. They have uh, no electricity in his room. He, he's got really nothing. They just make it day to day. He has to go collect water in the morning and all that. And, and I look at all that we have. You might be in a tough situation right now, but I think if you were to say, start listing what you have, you would probably have a really long list of things that you could say, this is what I have. I, God, I'm grateful for the job I have, or I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for health. I'm grateful that I've got multiple pairs of clothes. I'm grateful that I ate today. I'm grateful that I have a warm bed to sleep in. I'm grateful that, you, that I've got a car. I'm grateful that uh, maybe for some time out right now. I'm, I'm grateful to be able to be with family more. I'm grateful for a more quiet time. I'm grateful for what is the provision that the Lord has given to you because he's given you a lot. Think about that. Uh, second thing that is this, gratitude in God's grace. On the day that you feel like you've got no nothing, just remind yourself of the cross. Remind yourself of how far we as humanity were from God, but God in his love for us, he sent his son to lay down his life for us at the cross so that we could be redeemed and restored and brought back into a right relationship with our heavenly father. See, every time that I feel like whining a little bit, I just remember the great sacrifice that Jesus made for me at the cross. And in that, I can express gratitude of his grace. Third, gratitude in God's character. This is who he always is. He, he's always near. He's always faithful. He's always big enough for my situation and your situation. He's always loving. He's always listening. He's always fill in the blank. I think we've always got these things that we can look back to. And so even for me this week, that's exactly what I did. I, I started a document on my phone, and every single day I created a list of things that I am grateful for his provision, grateful for his grace, and grateful uh, for his character. And here's why it's important that we write things down. Are you ready for it? Because we're forgetful. <laughs> You ever do this? You're like, God, you spoke to me so clearly. And later that day, you're like, what did he say? <laughs> And the same thing happens when we go, God, you're so good, and I'm so grateful. And then we're distracted later in the day, and you're like, what am I thankful for? Because I'm starting to gripe again. And this is why being able to pull out that list and be like, oh, yeah, those are all the reasons why I'm thankful. And, and to remind the devil that he doesn't have space, and I break the power of the enemy in my mind by, by uh, having thankfulness rule in this space as opposed to anxiety and um, fear. Max Lucado said it this way, and I love this. In his book, Anxious for Nothing, he said, what you have in Christ is greater than anything you don't have in life. That list that you're gonna make is gonna be a, quite a list about what you have in Christ. What he's provided for you, the grace he's offered, his character, it's what you have in Christ, and that will always far outweigh what you don't have in life. And here's why we list it is because, once again, we will forget. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, actually take a moment right now, grab that journal, grab that sheet of paper, uh, grab that notebook, 
And in just a moment, not quite yet, but you're going to take a moment and you're going to start making a list. And so the worship team, is, they're going to sing a song while, uh, while we end with, uh, with this. But here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to write for the entire length of the song. Do you think you can do that? Just write for the entire length of the song. Uh, so simple challenge for about four to five minutes. Can you write constantly things that you are thankful for? Things that he's provided, things where his grace has been evident in your life, his character, and just express gratitude to him. You know, as parents uh, with us, we've got nine kids. There's a lot of things that go unnoticed in our house that our kids don't give us thanks for. It just happens if you've been a parent or if you've even served anyone. There's ways that I'm sure you've served them that you haven't always gotten thanks back from them. Right now, my son, he's, he's five, and um, every night I take him to the bathroom. Actually, as we're going to bed, uh, I carry him so that he can make it through the night without having an accident. And so he's actually up on this high top bunk. I mean, it's like a really high bunk bed. It's not, high, or it's, it's not a normal bunk bed. It's like way up there. I need a, a ladder just to get my son out of his bed. And so it's pretty crazy because I will actually... Um, <laughs> What I'll do is I'll crawl on up there, and he usually starts to fight me at this moment and kind of push back and not want me to, to pick him up because he's half asleep. And I'll pull him out of bed, I'll carry him, and I'll take him to the bathroom, and I'll bring him back to bed, and I'll lay him back in bed and cover him up and say goodnight to him and all that. But here, here simple question, do you think he's ever said thank you for, to me for that? You're like, no, probably not. And you're exactly right. He's never thanked me once for taking him to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Why? Because he's half asleep. That's why. He doesn't even remember it. He has no clue that I'm doing it. And here's what I think is often happening. is that The Lord, he is faithfully doing things in our lives constantly. He is providing. He is offering grace. He is faithful in his character. And I just wonder how many of us are actually sleeping. Like, We've just gotten sleepy through all of that great provision that the Lord has offered us. And, and as a result, we've never really, or we so often lose sight of giving him thanks to things. And my challenge to you would be really simple. Is, that, is it time perhaps for us to purposely wake up and give thanks for the way that he is providing. Give thanks for the way he is so gracious in the cross and what he's offered to us. To give thanks for who he is and his faithful character. And so might you just kind of jar yourself right now and wake up and express those things to him. Let me pray. Then the worship team will sing the song. During the song, go the whole length of the song just expressing thanks to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you, there would be a great transformation in our hearts, that our perspectives would change as our hearts become anchored in thanksgiving over anxiety, that the enemy would actually lose any stronghold by this simple principle of giving you thanks and expressing a grateful heart. And so, Lord, just lead us right now through this exercise and I pray that something breaks loose in us right now, away from anxiety and into thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.